Welcome to the Polygon Show. I'm joined today by Chelsea Stark. Hello. And Ashley O. Hello. We are all back from Seattle, and we have a very we, – we feel very rejuvenated, first of all, ready to talk about video games. And we shall talk about video games. We're going to talk about Toe Jam and Earl today. We're also going to tell you guys all about PodCon and uh, the Fire Festival documentaries, finally. But first, we have a very special guest on today's show. It is Allegra Frank, here to talk about Kingdom Hearts 3. Allegra. Hello, I'm here. I'm inside the box. Wow, you live in an underwater hell. <laughs> do I sound like I'm underwater? You literally do sound like. Yeah, you got. As soon as we started recording, you got choppier, which is concerning. But... Yeah. Uh, I'm in. I'm in. What's that word? World. Um, Atlantis. Wow. Little Mermaid World. I can't believe Kingdom Hearts Three is full full VR. They do have a VR, like, PS4 theme for Kingdom Hearts 3, which is cool. What? Yeah, dog. All right. Well, so you are at home today, which is why you're not in the studio with us, because uh, you are busting out a Kingdom Hearts 3 review that will be up by the time this podcast goes up, fortunately. Um, Hey, tell us about that game. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, friends. So I am a big Kingdom Hearts person. Um, a big a fan, I guess. Um, and I recall as soon as I started at Polygon, I think that year, earlier that year, had been the E3 when they showed like new trailers for like Last Guardian and Kingdom Hearts and Shenmue and everything that we hadn't seen in forever. And so I was like, okay, I work at Polygon now. I hope by the time Kingdom Hearts comes out, I can review it. I have no idea when it'll happen, but I have to review it. And Eventually, it got to the point where I literally was like, if I don't review this freaking game, I can't work here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I, luckily for everyone, got to be the one to um, review it because I am the biggest Kingdom Hearts defender. I have been a huge fan since it came out. That was when I was nine, for reference, so for most of my life. Um, and there was a lot riding on Kingdom Hearts 3 because it's been so long um, that we've been waiting for it. So I will say my expectations were really, really high going in, and I think it's impossible for them not to be. But it's also the degree to which they, the game has failed to meet my expectations is, like, heart-crushing. Like, it is Oh, bad. no. What do you mean bad? Yeah. What do you mean bad? It is. <laughs> it is not good. So basically, the original Kingdom Hearts games were for the PS2, and like the graphics weren't as good, and whatever. Like there are a lot more caveats for the PS2 than there are for the PS4. So things that were like cool then obviously wouldn't fly now. But like, I still will play Kingdom Hearts one and two and be like, yeah, it's cool that even though the jumping is horrible and the platforming is terrible, they still managed to do this and that, and this world looks like this. But this game doesn't progress much further than that. Like, it still has terrible platforming. The camera is still the worst thing in the world. <laughs> the graphics are, like, super dull in some parts and, like, really, like, disturbingly uncanny in others. There's the Pirates of the Caribbean world, and that is, like, oh, God, everyone has fingernails now. They didn't have fingernails before. <laughs> <laughs> fingernails. <laughs> um, are there a lot of cutscenes where you have to look at their fingernails? There's a few, yeah. Oh. There are a few. 
And it's literally like, Sora, you never had fingernails until this moment. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically, it's just like picking it up was like jumping right back into Kingdom Hearts 2, which I love that game. But when I've been waiting since 2006 to play, you know, the next generation version of this, I would think it'd be at least some degree better than that. Um, but no, I mean, obviously it looks better than a PS2 game, but it still feels very much the same to play it um, in a lot of bad ways. And frankly, because, and I don't want to like blame Disney because I don't think it's Disney, but they're really, this time they really went with like choosing more recent movies for the world as opposed yeah. to Kingdom Hearts are very much about like, you know, like classic favorites and whatnot. But this one, it's like Big Hero 6, Frozen, Tangled, um, a bunch of really recent stuff. Oh. I, I like Big Hero 6, but I do not think it's an iconic movie. Like, it is an enjoyable movie, but totally not right. memorable. And, and like, like, these things aren't especially memorable, so then the world just feel like, okay, I don't, I don't even remember this movie. I will not remember this world. And the classic Disney movies... I think fit so much, they fit very well with the Final Fantasy-ish aesthetic of a lot of the, I guess, the Kingdom Hearts bits, the OG Kingdom Hearts bits. Um, that mm-hmm. makes me nervous, Allegra. I mean, I guess it makes me sad. I, I'm not, I don't have to be nervous anymore because now I know your opinion. Yeah, I mean, it makes me, at this point, I like, my excitement was so high that I just knew I wasn't going to feel great either way. Like, my anticipation, but I'm just like slogging through it in a way that I haven't done with a game that I like have high regard for in so long. Like, you know, I went into Kingdom Hearts 3 having played one and two and a bunch of the side games. Like clearly I am invested. So going in, I'm like actually playing this seriously and like paying attention and not doing other things at the same time. Like I do with everything else, Mm -hmm. but I just get like fantastically bored or frustrated and it's it's upsetting when that happens with a game that, you know, is in a series you love. Can I tell you about, I think I was telling Ashley maybe, but can I please tell you about the worst freaking part of this game? Yes. Okay. So there is a level obviously based on Frozen um, because Frozen, LOL. I don't, I don't like Frozen. I do not care for Frozen. So already I'm like through this. But it is the longest freaking world in any video game I have ever played. It took me like eight hours. Eight hours. I don't know. As of recording time, I am 26 hours into this game. So almost a third of my time. (laughs) Allegra, you're playing Frozen like I'm playing Pokemon. Let's go. I I literally get you now. (laughs) I did not care for Frozen, and the idea of an eight-hour-long Frozen is my personal hell. I guess you could say hell has frozen (laughs) over. Oh, no. Wait, do you think if you guys had some nostalgia, I also do not, like, really care for Frozen, but do you feel like if we were young, we were, like, 15, we would have a lot of nostalgia for Frozen, and then that would be... They are doing it for, like, kids who do like Frozen a lot because they have the entirety of Let It Go. They have like half of that No Man song. I don't know because of- I'm going to vomit Allegra. Well, I think so. Actually, I think Frozen 
is a good fit for Kingdom Hearts and so is Tangled because those are Frozen more so than Kingdom Hearts or sorry Frozen more so than Tangled as much as I don't like it because I think the world in Frozen is a little more imaginative and fleshed out compared to Big Hero 6 which kind of just takes place in our world oh no but they have the super cool city it's like future it was like San Francisco mashed up with Tokyo in a future city Gonna say that maybe uh, Simone, to your point, that the original Kingdom Hearts had a lot to do with like princesses Mm -hmm. and the hearts. So there's a lot of like princess element, right? Of Rapunzel or Frozen. Um, So I don't know. I think like it's impossible to tell, I guess, because we are older. (laughs) That maybe um, this, you know, new installment could kind of rope in a bunch of younger kids who want to get into the franchise. And honestly, I thought about that, too, of like this storyline is so complicated. How can younger kids get involved in it? But at the same time, I look back at me when I was 10 or 11 and I played Final Fantasy VIII, the craziest game on the planet. (laughs) And like, I think like if you are younger and you are just starting out with video games, especially any type of RPG, you just accept it. You You don't give a shit. I feel like a lot of (laughs) us now are just like, where did where did he come from? Why is this like this? Whereas, you know, if you're younger, you just silently nod and go through the whole game. You're like, yeah. yes, of course, this is how it all works. There's so many mm-hmm. good song parody opportunities, though. Come on. I have yeah. a, so <laughs> Do you want to have a Keyblade? No! Uh, get out of here. I won't. <laughs> my, my question is, I'm looking at when these movies came out and, like, when Kingdom Hearts 3 was announced, and, like, no wonder this game is bad because it's been like a concept since 2006 and like Big Hero 6 came out in 2014 Tangled came out in 2010 Frozen came out in I don't know when also in the 2010s like that this is a bunch of stuff that I mean probably Disney had those Mm -hmm. ideas but the they couldn't have had the final product. Like, they couldn't well, have known. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Allegra, have you, when you're playing through them, like, worlds that are, you know, featuring more recent Disney movies and maybe worlds that are more classic ones or any parts of the game, do they visu- ever visually feel inconsistent to you? Like, one world might seem very, you know, you mentioned to me some of them feel very, like, PS2, PS3, and then... Are there some other worlds that are way better well-rendered? Like, do you think you could sort of see, I don't know, sort of like the figurative seams of when, you know, such and such world was completed and, you know, Square Enix and or the studio just stitching it together? Um, I mean, I definitely think that, like, as you progress later into the game, it does seem like the world design overall, like, not just graphically, but in terms of actual, like, level design, it feels more diverse and thoughtful because early on um, in, like, definitely, like, the first half of the levels, the worlds feel kind of sparse comparatively, um, and there aren't as many, like, details or references or anything to those movies like, let's say, like, the Monsters, Inc. world, right? It's pretty much just a factory, which Monsters, Inc. kind of takes place in a factory. There's not a ton that you can do there necessarily, but, like, it literally just, like, okay, gray, metallic, everywhere. Um, And it feels very samey. But then by the time you get to, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, which, granted, they did that in the PS2 game as well, so maybe they already sort of had a base and, like, knew how to expand from there. Like, that world 
is awesome. Like I put a ton of time into that world because it basically felt like a really short game on its own. Mm -hmm. Like it just had completely different combat and all these little like places to find and it's like a huge town to explore. And so, yeah, by the time I got there, I'd already sunk a lot of time in and I was like, okay, wow. Now I'm actually starting to see like the work that was put in, but I don't necessarily know if like any of the stuff feels vestigial. Like I can't really say, Oh yeah, that feels like it would have been in whatever version like would have come out on PS3 if they had actually released it on PS3. Although speaking of frozen though. Um, so other than me just hating frozen, that world, it was interesting when you guys were saying like, it seems like that would be well suited for the series because that world is just also really boring. Oh. Like it's just, white and gray and you're just like climbing up a mountain the whole time for hours and hours like you don't actually really see any of the characters that much which I find boring as a player but also bizarre because exactly to your point of if you're going to get kids in this is a great way to do it because all the kids want to see you know Anna and Elsa you don't see them that much Um, and that level comes in way later in the game so that was a little bit weird that one felt a little bit like last minute to me that sucks. That does suck. Yeah. Allegra, one other question. Do you feel like because of the tight timing of this review that this was a, maybe something that changed your opinion because you said to me you played a, like a bunch and you had to bring your PS4 to PodCon? Like, mm-hmm. it, do you feel like that would, if you had had the norm, you'd played this game like a normal person, which is not 12 hours a day, uh, you, <laughs> you would like, like it a little more? So I think I was thinking about that for sure. But for a game like this, where, you know, I am so freaking stoked for it, I, I'm pretty sure if I, like, wasn't reviewing it, I still would have spent the entire, like, I don't know, weekend just playing it nonstop. Okay. Um, <laughs> obviously, yeah, I was, like, in my bed. Like, I went to bed at 2, p- 2 a.m. last night after screaming so much at the stupid ass mini game where I had to find these crabs and I was just cursing <laughs> out the crabs. I think like one of these things is the funniest thing ever because I talked to Allegro when she was going through the frozen world and I was mentioning how like in the trailer I thought that Olaf looked kind of you know he made a funny joke or something and he it was cute and then I asked her I was like oh but Olaf looks great how's Olaf and then Allegra <laughs> responds maybe 10 minutes minutes later going Olaf is so annoying I want to murder him (laughs) (laughs) when I was talking to uh, Ryan Gilliam on staff who also has been checking out the game I literally he was like how's the game going I think I said this to you Ashley and maybe Chelsea too I literally was just like Frozen can eat my whole ass (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry I'm writing that down as a potential episode title oh my god that's so good Uh... Uh, but I do think I would have played it I think I would have binge played it for sure but it is like more frustrating when I'm stuck for 8 hours in Frozen world and I'm like okay normally I would put the game down maybe for a day or two and not like drive myself insane in my room but uh, this is the most human interaction I've had in the last 36 hours and it shows (laughs) you know what game has a great mountain climbing level 2013 PlayStation Vita hit Tearaway for Media Molecule. Yeah, you're right. It does. Thank you. So if you want to play a game this good, wow, <laughs> buy a PS Vita. 
<laughs> or you could play Celeste. That has a mountain. That's true. Or Celeste Tomb Raider also mountain. has a good mountain climbing sequence. That's 2013. Well, <laughs> A whole list list of games that have mountain climbing sequences better than 2019's Kingdom Hearts 3. Oh, Allegra, you've really disappointed me today. I'm sorry. I mean, usually I disappoint you most days, but I'm sorry to do that today. Yeah, this is a particular letdown. I, I guess I, I actually have one last question for you. As far as the plot of the Kingdom Hearts series goes, do you feel like it's building towards a resolution? Um, no. <laughs> cool. Kingdom Hearts yeah. Kingdom Hearts 4 coming in 2030. Kingdom Hearts 40 more years. Oh no. 40 more years. <laughs> we'll be able to tell our grandchildren when they start Kingdom Hearts 4. I hope I never talk to my grandchildren about I mean, Kingdom Hearts 3. Actually, that sounds I don't, terrible. I don't want to have children and so therefore won't have grandchildren. But still, my point stands about my fictional grandchildren. I'm going to find someone if else's Vegas grandchildren. Could have Kittens and the kittens can have kittens, and you can tell your grand kittens about your Aww. Kingdom Hearts three game. My grand kittens. Oh, okay. Why did they? Why did they take? When or do you think we're ever gonna find out why it took them ten fucking years to make this game instead of a normal amount of time that would have maybe? No, because Japanese developers never tell stories really mm. i'm just confused they're just like, gonna be like i'm sorry there's just so much there's only so much you can do after you debut mickey mouse in an all leather outfit there's just i don't know how you can move past that but somehow they're trying <laughs> it's all downhill from there wait which game had leather daddy mickey mouse i'm pretty all sure all of them really <laughs> why didn't but i mostly see? two he like shows up oh. at the yeah. beginning of two and three Never do that again. <laughs> What's up, Ashley? Oh gosh, what, Daddy Mickey. <laughs> I want to die. Uh, it's not even a good Mickey Mouse impression. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's better than my Mickey Mouse impression, which I don't even have. It so dangerously we'll like it. Charles Martinet's uh, Super Mario. That's <laughs> for me, Mickey. <laughs> oh, ho 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 ho. Wahoo! Okay, I'm gonna take this back to the workshop, and I'm gonna the the leather workshop, and I'm gonna pound it out. Don't pound anything out. I don't know. (laughs) Is there pounding that goes into making leather? I can't remember from my American Girl books. Isn't there whipping? Oh, I dropped my ring on the ground. All right. Well, Allegra, go back to Atlantis. Be free. (laughs) I hope you're free um, of Olaf soon. I'm wow. so sorry. I, I am free of Olaf. Thank the freaking Lord. I am now in like. Please Kingdom tell me Hearts. he dies. No. Oh, wait. You're in Kingdom oh, Hearts land? Does. Oh, my God. Can I. Last thing I'll say about goddamn fucking Olaf. He ruined my life yet again. If you recall, in 2017, when I saw Coco and he wasted my time then, too. This is the second time now. There's a part with Olaf where he basically does die. And then I spent an hour trying to bring him back to life. And I was in my bed just shouting, I don't fucking know this guy. I don't care. (laughs) I think it's really interesting how sometimes games can challenge our morality and present us with these situations where, like, you have someone who deserves to be dead 
But you are put in a position where you as the player have to go against your personal ethics and bring that person back to life and kind of inflict that being on the world. And I just find that such an interesting moral choice. You just like pour a melted cup of water into the pet cemetery. Is that how you bring <laughs> Olaf back? <laughs> oh. What ha- yeah, what ha- well, Olaf is just snow. Sentient yeah. snow somehow. Yeah. So you just put the what 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 way could we put him down forever? I think evaporation <laughs> is the key. <laughs> you eat the carrot. <laughs> eat the carrot and and then we gotta get a lot of heat. We gotta take him to the desert and evaporation needs to happen. I love the idea of evaporating Olaf into the sun. <laughs> I'm That's sorry, the only way. Fans. Otherwise he'll just come back. Oh, okay, Allegra. Thank you so much for phoning in. You're the best guest we've ever had. Next to Jeff Kaplan. Actually, Jeff Kaplan was way better. Sorry, bye, Bye. Allegra. Okay, bye. (laughs) Wow. Amazing. I feel like I need to come down from that segment. I'm really disappointed. I first didn't believe her when she told me that it was bad. I was like, no, no, no. Do you just mean like one segment? Is it just the yeah. story? And she's like, no, it's it's everything. I was like, how is that possible? And she's like, I was like, well, what did Ryan think? Because he beat it. And he's like, Ryan hates it too. <gasps> Honestly, like, Gosh. I, I mean, everyone's like, well, you're not expecting it to be good, right? Because it's been in development for 10 years. And I'm realizing now, yeah, part of me kind of was expecting it to be Good. And maybe I wasn't taking into account that it would be on the gameplay par of the old games and that that would be bad. I thought they would want to make money back. Yeah, you'd think that they would want to make money and release a quality product. Mm -hmm. Leather Mickey. Well, I'm sorry most of all to all the salty people who commented on my SEO Play episode of Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8. Final Fantasy Remix 74 Dream Drop Daddy-O um, who were really mad. <laughs> was that the full title of your episode? No. Oh. It was the full title of the game though. Dang. Uh, <laughs> Wait, why were they mad? They were mad because they thought that I was insulting Kingdom Hearts genuinely and not as a person who likes Kingdom Hearts. It, it got a lot of views though. <laughs> <laughs> And I enjoyed it. Um, Okay, well, let's move on to another topic. Speaking of disasters that are horrible, uh, the Fire Festival documentaries that were released on Netflix and Hulu last week, Ashley and I, I think, have both watched them. Chelsea, did you end up watching them? Whoops! Whoops! <laughs> hey, that's oh yeah, because okay. you weren't here last. Week. I wasn't here. Hey, hey! Medical reasons. I can ask you guys questions about them. Yeah, I'm going to ask some questions because I am fascinated with Fire Festival, the train wreck that it is. So, can you, uh, one of you or both of you, explain Fire Festival for people who maybe weren't following along last year? Me, I'm the person that's being gestured to by Ashley. So Fire Festival was a very ill-fated festival on an island in the Bahamas that was supposed to be this incredible influencer, celebrity model-filled experience and ended up being a total scam where people were put in FEMA tents and there was no there were no bathrooms or anything. So a bunch of 
uh, like YouTubers and Instagram influencers who went out there for the festival were like, ah, this is garbage. Um, and that prompted an investigation into the the people behind the festival, Billy McFarland and Ja Rule and that company, um, because they had just sort of monumentally <laughs> fucked up the planning for this, maybe accidentally and maybe dishonestly. Because Billy McFarland's a scammer. Is and that's ja what the documentaries also are about. A scammer? I think so. Personally, I think so, having watched both documentaries. What is the difference between the two documentaries? Oh, well, the main one being that the Netflix uh, is a more kind of aerial perspective on the entire event. Uh, Hulu centers, it, it does the same, but it centers a little bit more on profiling Billy. And he also provides um, actual, like they interview him uh, and they ask him these questions and mm. you see him like uncomfortably sit there sometimes. And his eye, his pupils are so dilated. I mean, to go back to, <laughs> as someone who's had their eyes dilated in the past month, <laughs> like every time he's answered, it's, it's kind of scary. I mean, I think the Hulu one profiles more on Billy's psychology and... I'm sure that, you know, there are kind of borderline characteristics of him being sort of a sociopath and a compulsive liar, hence, you know, scamming people out of so much money. Um, and I think that the Hulu one provides a little bit more pop culture commentary and footage. I think everyone said also the Hulu one is just like less like I think one of them is more fair. Probably fair and balanced. I don't know. But I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I'm at, oh good. I want I wanted I want the shadiest documentary, so that's fine. I think the way I granted I did watch the the Hulu one first, um, and then I watched the Netflix one with Karen and Jenna and Petrana. And after watching the Hulu one, because it spends so much time establishing that Billy McFarland is a scammer. And a liar and setting up like it goes way into his backstory and the context for Fire Festival. So when I came out of that documentary, I felt like I I had the context and I understood why this happened. And during the Netflix one, a lot of the commentary from the people I was watching it with was like, how is this happening? How are, how are people being so foolish? And I was like, I know how they're being so foolish because I understand the power of manipulative liars. And also I had just listened to um, the Dream podcast, which is about multi-level marketing, which is not what Billy McFarlane did, but it, it's a lot about how people can come to believe in something that just logically makes no sense. Multi-level marketing schemes are pyramid schemes, essentially, and the supply, the, the the demand cannot, I mean, keep up, cannot provide enough money for people to make a living that way, for everyone to make a living that way. But they're predicated on the fact that everyone should be able to make a living in a multi-level marketing scheme. So I came out of that being like, yeah, people can convince themselves of things that cannot be true. That's That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so the, the whole thing that people were convincing themselves of was that they were going to have an amazing time mm -hmm. at this festival targeted towards like influencers, influencers, and people who want to be influencers and around influencers. I think the Netflix documentary was really good. Where where I think the Netflix documentary did a great job um, was it at the end of it they focus a lot more on the Bahamian workers who were totally scammed and 
unlike the influencers who were also scammed, they, you know, aren't in a position to make money by making crazy videos on their YouTube channels about their fire Festival experience. Like, they're just really screwed over. Um, and the Netflix documentary devoted more time to that. That is good. I also saw that there were some different, uh, like, GoFundMe things for different mm-hmm. workers, which is really exciting. I saw the caterers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she got money which is really good because that part oh, was really that's sad <laughs> that's i mean this is sad this is a no sad- it's it's really sad i think simone you're totally right in that they focus more on showing the wider effects of billy's actions and how many people he hurt how mm-hmm. many livelihoods and um just that there yeah there's that woman at the end who said she dipped into her savings of $50,000 and shelled it out because people kept asking her for money. Mm-hmm. And she lives on the island. She sees these people all the time. So she doesn't have a choice. And, you know, yeah, she can't cheat fire her, media. They're yeah. just like, bye, we're going to leave, um, which is a lot sadder. I think the Hulu documentary, they interviewed uh, what's it, a reporter from Vice who yeah. wrote on this story. Um, and I think that had a lot more... Uh, I guess media mm-hmm. talk. Is it fun to watch influencers suffer? Actually, neither of them really focus on that. Oh. Yeah, and I think that it's not entirely influencers. I th- it's weird because they do frame it in a way that's marketed towards people. Like, you even see a clip of Billy McFarlane say, like, oh, you're your average Joe in middle America or whatever. We're selling like this dream, this concept that, hey, mm-hmm. you can be on board with all these models, da da da. But I think there was a weird just like break there because <laughs> a lot of these packages and like these villas or whatever that they were supposed to rent, like your own private villa, would go for like fifty thousand dollars to like a hundred thousand dollars for all this stuff and Um, Clearly, that was not happening. So it's a ton of money to ask of and of just I think even I'm very unclear on the attendees. Right. There's a mix of influencers, celebrities, but also just I'm assuming just general really rich kids who Mm -hmm. I want to know disposable income. Yeah, I just want I might. My question is in general, like why in the time like. We never heard of Fire Festival until we heard that it, there was a train wreck in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm very interested in the marketing channels that were clearly not aimed at us people who have no money. Luckily for you, the documentaries go into that. And here's another place where I think the Hulu one did better. Um, so the Netflix documentary was produced in part by um, Jerry Media, who also had a hand in marketing Fire Festival. The Hulu documentary has an interview with a very salty ex-member of Jerry Media um, who goes a lot into exactly what they did to market the festival and how they made it go viral with um, a crowd of people that, you know, did not uh it like you said it didn't cross my streams at all but a lot of people were very 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 aware of it um long before we heard about the fallout of the event and the Hulu one I think really goes into how that happened again the like the Netflix one is good but I just feel like a lot of the little connecting details weren't there for me like as good as a lot of the interviews in the Netflix one were I think that Hulu does better at setting everything up <sighs> 
consecutively? Yeah, I, I think the Hulu one provides a lot better uh, depth of cultural commentary surrounding mm-hmm. it. So explaining, they even, go, you know, they'll start from the beginning and go into like, what are millennials, mm-hmm. you know, and why was this so successful? And I think what kind of still boggles my mind, even though, you know, technically we fall under that millennial category of, um, you know, one of our defining features of this demographic is, you know, always being online, needing to market your own brand, even if you're not like a personality or an influencer. Um, and then they they kind of drop all these general things and then they t- detail what FOMO is, how our generation sort of cropped up with that term. And, you know, seeing a bunch of celebrities and all these models that you may or may not follow post about it. And to me, I think... I mean, I get it. It's not for everybody, but the the amount of people that they fooled, right, into just forking over so much money. And I I do understand, of course, naturally, the power of social media marketing. But in a way, to me, it's still a little bit mind boggling that there's is it down to an issue of media literacy among these people who kind of blindly was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. And in addition to shelling out like tens and thousands of dollars just to get there and on the package, right, you have even more money. Like they had what they had a system for bracelets that if you were on the beach and you were partying and you wanted, you know, to get drinks or whatever, do extra activities like jet ski, you could scan it on this special bracelet that they asked you to load funds with. So you're putting even more money in mm-hmm. addition to that. And it's just, I feel like how disconnected somebody has to be to kind of not look into that, to so blindly be like, sure, here's my number. Here's my credit card number. I'll just do it. I'll take it. I think, again, like that, because they uh, festivals like Outside Lands, which is in uh, San Francisco and is awesome according to my friends who go to it also use cashless systems like that with bracelets that you ju- you load up before you go in you use it to buy food you don't have to bring cards cash whatever yeah um so that but but yeah like the the astronomical amounts of money that they were asking for like three hundred dollars for the whole weekend that i guess to me would maybe not necessarily be a red flag because I'm not necessarily saying I'm great at thinking, but it would certainly be a like, oh God, I can't afford to do this moment for me. I also thought that the whole culture of, you know, seeing a a favorite celebrity or somebody endorse something um, in terms of advertising Mm -hmm. was long over with. You know, I thought that uh, this is my assumption of like, well, you it's don't not follow like the Kendall 50s, Jenner on like Twitter. 60s anymore. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. And then they show the power of like Kendall Jenner's one Instagram post mm-hmm. made this huge effect. And for me to kind of step back and look at that and be like, this is 2018. And I don't mm-hmm. know how, I don't know. We've gone through so many years of parasocial relationships are stronger than ever, though. Like people yeah. have stronger relationships because they feel real connections to the people. Talking, selling, mm-hmm. being glamorous, all those things. Mm-hmm. I think like I, after watching, sorry, uh, sorry like no, a on. show like Mad Men that kind of went into deep into advertising, deep into like how people wanted to. Millennials think. need to watch Mad Men. Watch Mad Men. These people are not your friends. They are always selling an idea, a place. And it's, I think 
you know, there are a lot of blanket statements about millennials that they make that I don't always agree with, but mm-hmm. I do agree that there is a, a huge portion, especially those who have a ton of money, is spending it on experiences and less like, I'm buying this designer bag. Look how cool this is. It's more of like, look, I'm on the top of a skyscraper, and if I fall, I could die at any moment, and I'm going to go on this fun island trip. I don't know anything about that. Using that as kind of, uh, I don't know, a bargaining chip for your social status mm-hmm. is so... It's just so weird to me, but haven't y'all been to a restaurant that is clearly designed for Instagram? Like all of the drinks and food are very well plated and very pretty and attractive and everything's very well lit. Mm-hmm. You're like, uh-huh, I see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. Cause there, I, I'm, I'm firmly a millennial and I am 28 years old and even this year, I have experienced the feeling of FOMO and I, I follow an influence on influencer on Instagram and I know this is how she makes her damn money but she'll post this beautiful dress and I'm like oh my god I want that and I go and I look at the dress and I like I'm asking how much it is because it's another uh, person who has an Instagram account who makes the dress and it's like $500 and I'm like well I could go no you can't don't god so I've I've definitely been in that position where I've been tempted just because like it's such a, it looks so good in the photo and it's connected to that lifestyle that's in the rest of the photos. And it's it's very, very tempting. And I, I've also been the person who's like framing shit up on Instagram to make it look real nice. Um, so I don't know. I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get scammed someday, you guys. No. <laughs> I think that you do have a point, Simone, that even if you're not fully entrenched in this like Instagram influencer lifestyle, there is still kind of a need, one, to to be seen, even if it's among your group of friends. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, establishing a, yeah, a kind of personal brand or look or reinforcing your presence in a way that uh, isn't necessarily marketing yourself, but among your friends or acquaintances or coworkers, you know, there's a certain cultivation that begs to be, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, created or manifested, especially if all around you, you see everybody with their accounts or so-and-so like went to a really cool brunch, you know, and then and did that's a really gonna be cool us on thing our ski after. weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so like even small things like that, I feel like, you're excited about but there's almost an extra layer of excitement in that it is it instagrammable like can mm-hmm. you record like oh i'm going up a ski mountain i'm gonna take an instagram video I have i'm that gonna just show all people the time. Yeah. i i've unfollowed people that i don't really care about because they just instagram too much shit and i'm like i don't need to see another brunch i'm sorry I know. Like, <laughs> totally like i just yeah another brunch Oh, well, what is our, which of the documentaries did you like better, Ashley? So I actually had to run out before the Hulu one completed. Okay. I feel like it was getting to the crest of it because it was getting really intense. But um, I think I find the Hulu one a little bit more interesting because they focus on, and I don't know if this is unfairly or not, clearly, but 
when Billy McFarlane is talking and they'll show sound bites and clips of him talking. And then they'll, there was this one part where they zoomed in on his mouth and then kind of like highlighted how like rapidly he was speaking. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, after that, it kind of made me think about that. And there's this whole thing about like, dude, this guy is very charismatic, blah, blah, blah. But then I looked at his mouth because thank you, Hulu documentary, for making (laughs) me look at this man's mouth. And then looking back up at the upper portion of his face where it looked completely dead, which was kind of scary. Like the the mouth Mm -hmm. was like rapidly talking, smiling. Mm -hmm. And like you see all these teeth. And then I feel like I just saw his eyes, which were, they looked so hollow to me. Uh, And it was actually kind of frightening. The anti-smize. But yeah, the anti-smize. Or I don't know, maybe they did a great job in setting up my bias against him, even though, I mean, what bias this guy Mm -hmm. is piece of shit I do it makes me feel very cynical to think about the Netflix one to be like so the media company who promoted it and fucked over people is now making more money selling the story of the fuck up Oh, did they? I mean, is that part of what the they're... Netflix documentary? Yeah. Jerry Media, Media produced it. And I do think, like, there's been a lot of discourse around the ethics of both documentaries because Netflix one produced by the people who marketed the festival. Hulu one paid Billy McFarlane for their interview. Oh. I personally think, and I know the Netflix, someone involved in the Netflix one came out and said, I think you'll see that our documentary was not biased in favor of Jerry Media. I do think that they did not go as hard on them as the Hulu one does. Yeah, because I agree. I I think they framed it so that Jerry Media was unaware of a lot of it. Mm -hmm. They only did this market. They were completely disconnected from the production side and like it wasn't their fault and they did the best they could Mm -hmm. and this guy is all to blame. Totally. Yeah. And now that you shed light on both of those things, it's sort of like, yes, which one of lesser of two evils? That both sounds really shady to me in a way. I mean, both of them were both like standing at the edge of an accident scene, like gawking at it. So like, eh. yeah. yeah. I personally don't, and I, I talked about this, I think on Rocket last week. I don't have a problem with Hulu paying Billy for that interview. I think, I mean, he provided a lot of information to them and you can tell from the documentary, like they're not, they're not cutting him any slack and there are moments in it in the interview where you can hear the interview talking to him and being like, so you've never lied. And he's like, no, I've never lied. And then they're like super cut of all the times he <laughs> lied in that interview. And it's like, okay, they're, they, I, I think that they had to pay to get access. And I don't think that that should be necessarily normal for I mean, interviews. But sucks. I think in this case it worked. It mm. sucks in the the case that this guy is still getting kind of rewarded. But, yes. Yeah. But hopefully, I mean, I'd like to be like, nobody will work with him again, but I know that that is not how <laughs> So... I just don't understand how he's like not in jail. I, th- I mean, yet. I thought that the, the trial is still happening. No, or I think he is in jail. Happening? Sorry, you haven't finished the Hulu documentary. Well, it's a, yet. wasn't he sentenced to like six years or something in federal prison? Was it? The, was I think that so. It? I'm pretty sure he's in jail. And at the end of the Hulu documentary, he's like selling music lessons to inmates <gasps> because he's a fucking scammer. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fine. He's taking advantage of people in prison. I mean, yeah, I think <laughs> he needs to be put in another like they prison. Still, yeah, they still paid him, but you know, there are scenes where the, you'll hear the interviewer ask him an extremely on-the-spot uncomfortable question, and I think mm-hmm. there was a moment where he actually never responded. He just kind of 
didn't know what to say and stared off into space. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, but also part of that is like capitalizing on this, like zooming in, like, look at this guy, you know? And I mean, I think Twitter um, uh, and Instagram, but especially Twitter has, as they point out, had a field day with like roasting this guy. Everybody was so, I think like, ready and raring to go on the hate train, which like, yes, this guy is a total piece of garbage. But that also does speak volumes to, I don't know, our culture, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, well, we have a review of both Fire Festival documentaries on polygon.com right now, uh, which I am going to put in the show notes. Let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Okay, we're going to go back to talking about video games. Chelsea! Hi. You played Toe Jam and Earl this weekend? Because you're... What? So I had to have... Why I was out last week is I had to have surgery, which wasn't that fun. Uh, But I'm fine now. Yeah, nice. Uh, (laughs) Made it to PodCon, the most important thing. And I'm fine now. And so I... uh, my lovely boss, editor-in-chief Chris Grant, sent me an eShop code. He's like, you know what you need? Genesis games. They'll make you all better. And I was like, aw. <laughs> so I downloaded the Genesis uh, collection for uh, Switch, which was great. Um, and I played my favorite game from childhood, Toe Jam & Earl, the original 1991 game. Which Can is- you tell me what Toe Jam & Earl is about? Because I honestly have no idea. It's so freaking weird, right? This is the weirdest game, and th- like explaining it makes no sense. So... You are two Earthlings from the planet Funkatron who... Earthlings. Oh, aliens. no, you are two aliens. Excuse me. Wow. <laughs> really messed up that premise. Funkatronlings. You are two Funkatronlings who cra- their ship crashes on Earth and they have to go through Earth to find all the pieces of their spaceship return home. Simple premise. But this game is 90s as fuck. So, yeah. and it's very heavily influenced. Uh, one of the uh, creators is... Uh, uh, like he said, he's he's like also produces funk. He's like very influenced by the time, so it is like clear that there's a lot of '90s going on. It has a very banging soundtrack for as much as a 16-bit soundtrack can be banging. It's like it sounds like all the bass riffs from Seinfeld, basically. Oh my god, uh, so good. And so the weird thing about Earth in this game is that Earth is a series of islands. That you go up in an elevator, yeah, and the um, it's almost like they're all like it's an early version of a roguelike almost, in that everything is procedurally generated, mm-hmm. so all the levels look different, um, and then you encounter Earthlings that are all almost all enemies, and some of them are so freaking weird, 
Like there's a dentist who comes after you with a drill. Oh. There's uh and then like he cackles wildly and goes ha 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 and like stabs you. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, it's that's terrifying. There is a like a mom with a shopping cart that will run you over. There like and the, there's like crying kids in the shopping cart. Oh my god. There's a huge <laughs> kind of like uh fat guy in a in a wife beater mowing his lawn and he'll chase you with his lawnmower. There's like an ice cream truck that can run you over. Like all these Ooh. things that are just like there's swarms of bees. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's like really horrible, horrible earthling things. So a lot of it uh, is like exploring the levels. There's not a spaceship piece on every level. So like you may get to one and see like, oh, there's a spaceship piece here. You have to find it and then find the elevator to the next level. So you're just going up and up and up. Um, and also there's like lots of random presents that contain like rocket skates and pizza and Ooh, and uh, also bad things. It's just like, so it's kind of like, really random what you get. It's very goofy. I don't know how this game exists. It's so weird. It, it looks like a Nickelodeon show. Yeah, I guess the aesthetics are so like hyper bright and it does look extremely 90s. Like, and the level ups, this is how you know it's 90s is because like when you get a new level, it's like Earl is a bro. Earl is a dude. Earl is a, like a poindexter. It's like very, like very 90s things. Oh, uh, classic 90s Poindexter stereotypes. You know, it's just like very, they use a lot of 90s slang. Um, if you're playing with two player, they'll talk to each other in the elevator and like go be like, bro. Uh, and then they'll like fart and it's. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I, so this was a game you played when you were a kid? I was a kid and I loved it. I played it with my brother. We would play. We also had, I don't know if you guys ever encountered Game Genies, which were basically like you had a game cartridge you'd plug in but you'd have a second cartridge that it would plug into so you could enter cheat codes and then like Ooh. modify the game. So we would do ones on this game to like add extra lives and stuff like that because as kids, we were terrible. We couldn't beat this mm -hmm. game. Oh, I well, I had a, a Game Shark. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. The same thing as a Game Shark, basically. Oh. God, that was the day. I was so high tech. I know. <laughs> having a Game Shark. My yeah. brother and I could never beat this game uh, without cheating. Can you beat it now? Uh. I did because I was like, fuck, I'm lazy and I'm sick. <laughs> so this, the Sega emulator has like, you can do save states and like do a quick save and a quick load. So I would try to Ooh. do one per level. So that way I would not like, if you run out of lives, it's game over. So I was like, well, I'm going to kind of cheat it. I don't feel bad about it. Here's a weird fact. Hmm. When I wrote Toe Jam and Earl in my show notes, I had Toe Jam as two separate words and it said... That is spelled wrong. It wants it to be one word, which doesn't make sense to me because toe and jam are real words. They are. And yet his name is Toe Jam, all one word. Does my Google Doc know that I'm talking about Mr. Toe Jam? They may. They might. Toe Jam, by the way, so Toe Jam is a red alien with three legs and a backwards baseball cap and a giant rap-esque medallion. And Earl is a huge dude with flipper arms and blue shorts and sunglasses. Oh my god, I think it does contextually know. It must know. Holy Google, shit. Are you Google. sure Toe Jam just isn't a compound? No, it's just a it's just one word. Look. Look at what uh, I have done I, for I, the I listeners. I mean maybe it is one word. It is. But this isn't spelled wrong. I had a toe jam in the door. Or like toe jam, toe jam and gosh. When I write toe jam and earl, toe jam it has the little red squigglies under it. When I write the sentence, I had a toe jam in the door. But it's two words. Was, there is no red squiggly. Because it's all in caps? Because Maybe because toe jam is 
also could be like a no, I don't, I still can't make it. Why one more. is I I spelled it exactly the same in both I think in Google, both instances. I think Google knows. And it knows. It knows based on the context. Google has corrected Game of Thrones character names for me. So they Wow, must, really? Nice. Yeah. There. Yeah. Two separate sentences. I played Toe Jam and Earl. I had a Toe Jam in the door. Toe Jam. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's in caps. It won't. It thinks it's a name but, or a Well, I beat the game. 25 levels. Explain that because it's not in caps. I can't help you guys. What is wrong? I don't, I don't, I don't understand what Ashley's like trying we're to the, prove. I feel like we're the two um, chimpanzees in 2001 A Space Odyssey <laughs> and we are just screaming over this metallic rock right now. We're going to continue this conversation offline. Yeah, we are. Okay. Anyway, let me erase all of these documents. So, okay. Do, do you think that you experience the healing powers of Toe Jam and Earl. I do. It was a really nice game. It's a fun game to play from the 90s. It's uh, it's still holds up in that it just makes no goddamn sense, and I appreciate that. That's okay. I like games that are like that. I, I like, really think that that, yeah, I loved weird stuff as a kid, and that really spoke to my... Is it... You know how I don't like gross cartoons. No, there's no gross-out stuff, actually. But they're farting. They do fart and burp, but that's the extent of it. Also, if you play one player, there's no one to fart to. That's you, fair. You can't just also fart same alone. same in my life. No. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot fart alone, but if you drink Aww. root beer, it'll make you burp for like, you'll just walk around the level and burp. For do how like long? Burping. Like a minute. That's a, that's a long time I to know. be burping. It's a long goof, honestly. And I'm like, it doesn't affect you at all. You just are burping. It's very- It's a sound effect. It's a sound effect. <laughs> I mean, yes, but it's not like a stat change. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey. Want to talk about PodCon? Yes. Yay. We were at PodCon this weekend, which you might know if you were at PodCon and met and or heard that we were there. Yeah. It was really fucking great. It was like one of the most amazing weekends of all mm-hmm. time for me and for you all. You So <laughs> every, all, it was like, nuts. It was nuts. We all did so much. Simone did the most. Literally, I did the most. That's uh, not so- even a, that's not a day. You were just doing so many. You were like you moderated a panel, you emceed, co-emceed the opening show. You were on a different panel. You had a a small podcast with Tobin Lowe. Tobin Lowe from a WNYC show, Nancy. Yes, which I know. But last week we talked about me listening to it, and now I've listened to much more of it, and it's still very good. It's an incredible podcast. I also listened to a bunch of it. Uh-huh. You met so many wonderful. Other podcasters, I got so many ideas for our show and other shows. I just like got so energized. Also, we met some of you. We organized a lot it. of you, a really, lot of you, uh, uh, like an hour's worth of you. Oh my god! But also the all the people who didn't even come to that and just came in up and said hi. Yeah, I, I don't know. Honestly, I I left a exhausted, b feeling super duper rejuvenated and jazzed about this show and and other and podcasts in general. Just it was very, very affirming as an experience yeah we have the greatest fans i will say thank you all of you who did come out and thank us and were nice and accommodating and amazing even when we were weird mm-hmm. and sweaty so i was so sweaty i was impossibly sweaty yeah did you have a good time ashley no i did i was just agreeing <laughs> with the both of thinking you. about sweat yeah <laughs> mm, thinking about sweat. sweat ashley what was your favorite thing oh oh man um 
I actually got to go to the Dream Boy Live episode taping. Hey. Uh, and then Dane Terry, who is the creator, uh, or a co-creator, other, but he performed a song afterwards that was, I think, just an original song of his, and it was on the main stage, and I was sitting in the back, and uh, I... <laughs> I sat there and I actually cried because it was so touching and you could tell how much of himself he puts in into his performance and his music, how he enunciates and I just I think was so taken aback and blown away by the creative genius, but <laughs> I mean, really, I, I I think very rarely. I guess maybe I I said that last time about Greece, but um, yeah, this was like the second time in in as much months that I've wept from just being like, holy shit, this is. I can feel. I can feel you. I can feel. I can even see like what you're picturing. I can like make a mini movie out of my head. And I am also going back to you and watching your face perform this thing. And it's so like 1000% from inside and so genuine that I was so, I had never seen anything like that before. And I go to like concerts, I go to all these other things and sure, like you might get kind of misty eyed, but I definitely was. And I think I felt really inspired by just being able to see somebody perform like mm -hmm. that in front of me and two that he was on my panel and I was like I know that guy now but it, it was really exciting I think I was really really inspired from the work of a lot of the people we met there and everyone mm -hmm. was so chill and there were so many podcasters and wonderful people who were way bigger deals than us, but they were so, so nice and so chill and really it was like just a pleasant atmosphere to be around. That, yeah, it was, that sounds really like transformative by the way, that sounds really Oh, awesome. and also I was gonna say, so shortly uh, before he sang that song, Mm -hmm. um, by the way, somebody commented that like, oh, you guys mentioned this Dream Boy and Polygon show. But yes, it is very horny and very gay. He uh, <laughs> talks a lot about in great detail, like his erections and other people's erections. Nice. And like waking up with boners and quivering boners. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah, bring it on. Graphic content warning. Very, very graphic. Do not listen to it over the loudspeaker. <laughs> I don't know when you would do that, but if you operate a ferry... Don't do it. <laughs> or if you operate on people and you want to play it in the operating room, don't do that either. <laughs> oh, my God. It, I, I know that feeling, Ashley, because it was just like seeing. I feel like you also just learn so much hearing other people and their experiences and mm -hmm, this kinds yeah. of is their different journeys through the creative process of making podcasts. And I like got so energized to see how people do the same things we do in different ways. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, I was really surprised too with um, just even talking to our fans and hearing about stuff like they're interested in stuff that they're working on. All of it is overwhelming. If I looked uncomfortable and out of place, it's just because I probably was like, I don't, I don't know what to say, but this is really good. <laughs> um, but that was really, really nice. It was. it was. So I saw a few people tweet and say like, I was too shy to say hi. And 
one, please don't ever do that. Like, don't ever be too shy unless I'm like actively going to the bathroom or something. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant never tweet at me. No, I was never saying like fucking tweet at no, her. No, I was saying please <laughs> never be too shy to say hi because we are just as anxious as you are. Like, we don't have any magic bullet figured out. We just lucky to work at a place that put us on a podcast. Yeah, and- literally. Don't worry. There's nothing more... I guess, frightening than receiving compliments from strangers. So just know that you have a lot of power in that scenario. Yeah, and and <laughs> that you do not be too shy, even if you do not have a follow-up thing to say, because I, I met one of my podcast heroes and I had no follow-up. When I met after, right? when I, I met Roman Mars, I was like, I love your show. I literally <laughs> listen to every episode. I have nothing else to say. I, just, well, Thank you. I, <laughs> I fall actually into the, the former camp, Chelsea, because when I saw... Um, the, the welcome to Nightville people in the guest lounge, I couldn't even say hi. I think I like opened my mouth, but then I closed it and I was like, just pretending you're going to the salad. <laughs> I was way too scared to say hello to them, even though I heard they were very pleasant people. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's okay if you're also too afraid. I too mm-hmm. was very afraid, not just at this con, but at other cons where I was not a guest and I would be cowering in the back like, I don't think this person wants to talk to me. Who the hell would want to talk? I have nothing to say. But yes, Chelsea, now that you say it and now that the tables have turned. The tables have turned. um, Yes, you're absolutely right. You make a great point in that we are all nervous in a way. We don't don't know anyone. We don't know. Mm -hmm. It could be anything. It could. Oh, sorry, go on. No, I'm just, I, I agree with you so much, Ashley. Like, Thank you, everyone who did say hi. If you were too shy, don't be so, so shy next time. Uh, we are all nice except for Allegra, who's not here to defend herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was so mean to everyone who met her. Oh, my God. It was embarrassing how much she yelled at our fans. Um, so two notes. This has made me extremely excited um, for Pod X because I've learned that podcast fans are very chill and cool and I want to hang out with them. And Pod X is coming up in Nashville in May. Um, so you can check that out, of course, still. Uh, tickets at podx.com slash TPS uh, for our like our tickets. Um, I mean, they're tickets to the whole show, but we get like money or extra tickets to like give to people if you buy them at that link. And also... An extremely cool thing about PodCon, which I personally am looking forward to, is that all the panels were recorded, and they're going to release those recordings to attendees uh, a couple weeks after. And there are still remote attendance tickets available, it looks like, on PodCon.com. So even if you didn't pick those up and you're curious about like the panels and stuff, um, you can apparently still get remote attendance tickets for 40 bucks and get like the full audio of everything, which like is not just our panels, but punch up the jam live, which I guess, I mean, they're going to release that on their own stream, but like all a bunch of cool panels that I personally missed because I was focusing on live shows, but there's a bunch of like craft stuff that I am super duper interested in. There were, there were so many panels I missed because I was in other panels and this is one of the only conventions I've been to where I'm like, shit, I really, really do want to go to all of them. I, I'm, I'm honestly like so blown away at how much fun I had and how great the programming was. Yeah, I mean, and also like I learned about so many podcasts like because I tried to, to listen to a bunch beforehand and then I also came away with a whole different list of podcasts to listen to and I'm just like very excited about the medium. There's so much cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, podcasters like podcasting. Breaking news <laughs> at 11. <laughs> yeah, but the, I, I was saying this for like if people, 
I often see our when I I mean like I track when people tweet about it, the show and often I see people looking for podcast recommendations mm-hmm. and if you're all if you're like us and always looking for new stuff this is a good way to find new stuff to listen to. Yeah, I, I fish, facetiousness aside, I absolutely agree with you. My podcast like listening list swelled okay. by what? twofold. Um, <laughs> sorry. Well, and also the people who have recommended us in those threads, thank you. We yeah. do see it and we are very, very grateful. We are extremely grateful. Okie dokie. I think that has been our show for today. I don't think. I know because I'm going to leave. Um, <laughs> thank you everyone for listening and thank you to those who listen to us with your faces and ears at PodCon. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. As we said, uh, if you like the show, please review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are reviewed. Podcastreviews.com. Don't I don't know if that's I don't think it's real. Don't go there. Don't go to podcastreviews.com. I forbid you. I'm going there right now. Um <laughs> and share it with a friend. Oh my god, you guys, you can buy podcastreviews.com for your website name. Sorry, okay, I've gotta stop. <laughs> buy it and only put one review up and have it be a review of the Polygon show. Because we're the only podcast. Um that's my takeaway from PodCon 2 2019. Thank you, everyone. This has been The Polygon Show.